Um, So if you are able, would you stand with me? And uh, we will read Colossians 2, uh, 1 through 7 uh, from the English Standard Version. And I'm actually going to back up and read the two verses preceding uh, as well. Uh, So let's start in Colossians 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you from plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You may have a seat, and let's pray together and ask God to bless our time in God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your church gathered here in Washington uh, to be able to worship you in song and in giving and fellowship and prayer and in teaching and hearing the word. We just ask for you to work in great ways. Would you soften our hearts so that your word can penetrate our hearts and grow deep roots within us? God, we don't want to just change on the outside. We want to change from within. And so we, we give you Uh, full reign of our hearts to change us from within. And we uh, are looking forward to how you will do that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an interesting chapter break here. And that's why I backed up and read the two verses from uh, chapter 1. You know, when Paul wrote this book to the Colossians, he wasn't thinking chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. He he was writing, and then at some point, some chapters were kind of put in there to help us reference verses uh, in the Bible. Um, But it's interesting that the end of chapter 1 talks about how Paul wants to struggle with all of God's energy that powerfully works within him to do what? To mature people in Christ. And I believe what Paul does then in the beginning of chapter 2 is define what he's talking about. He starts in verse 1 and says, yeah, I, I, I struggled in order to help people grow and mature and here's what maturity looks like. So that maturity talked about at the end of chapter 1 is then given some definition. It's maybe not a full definition, but some definition to what does maturity in Christ look like. And that's the passage we're looking at today. You know, as we look at a passage like this that helps define our maturity in Christ, um, we sometimes look at that and go, wow, I am really low on the spiritual totem pole. I look at all these, these ways I'm supposed to be growing and we're sometimes disappointed that we're not a little bit further along than where we really are in our spiritual maturity. Uh, One Christian songwriter writes, I've walked 10,000 miles, but what am I still doing here? Have you ever thought that? Um, We don't see ourselves growing as we ought to grow. We don't see God as sovereign over our growth. You might think, I haven't grown in my faith like that person that shared their testimony in Sunday school. Wow, what growth they have seen. Um, I, I struggle as in my prayer life. I don't pray consistently. And then all of that compounds to a, another struggle of, so therefore, I don't believe I'm qualified to be used of God to help others mature. If I'm not maturing, then how on earth am I supposed to help others to mature 
in Christ. Well, while in Cote d'Ivoire, Sherry told us a story about a housekeeper at the Baptist hospital there. Um, she's a woman with a simple education and, and part of uh, the morning routine at the hospital was a devotional supposed to be shared before the walk-in clinic is open for patients. And so she took her turn uh, to give her devotional. Um, she shared the gospel and uh, it ended. Uh, the clinic opened and patients started being received. Well, a, a few days later, a man showed up at the walk-in clinic and he said, hey, uh, there's this housekeeper that shared a devotional a few days ago. I need to talk with her. And they were scrambling to find her and they finally connected him to her. And um, this man was coming to see her, not because he was physically ill, because he had recognized through her devotional that he was spiritually ill. And he talked further with her. And th that day, that man's life radically changed and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we think of that story and how do we respond to it? Well, first we think, well, praise God, he saved another, right? That's our first response. Praise the Lord. There's another one who is saved. But second, we can find ourselves erroneously thinking, really, a housekeeper? That's who God used? Um, when that guy showed up, um, couldn't he have asked for a doctor, one of those Christian doctors, or, or a nurse, or, or maybe they could have pointed him toward, towards a pastor or some church leader, someone who's you know, maybe more qualified. Um, and that begs the question, why do we ever think that a housekeeper is less qualified? Why does that sometimes enter our minds? See, we think that we certainly can't be used of God to help point people towards the gospel, to help others grow. You might think, oh, I don't have the training that that pastor has, or I've never personally mentored or discipled someone, so I'm not meant for that. But that patient wasn't looking for a doctor. He wasn't looking for a nurse. wasn't looking for a pastor. wasn't looking for a church leader. They were looking for the housekeeper. He didn't ask for her resume first or didn't ask her, okay, how many quiet times or devotional times have you had in the last month before I can speak with you further? And so we look at a passage like this that defines maturity in Christ and we think, well, I'm certainly not qualified to present anyone mature in Christ to help other people grow. I have a hard enough time myself growing in Christ, let alone struggling to help others to grow. But this passage clearly defines how we are to mature in Christ, defining what is mature, as well as encourages us to help others to grow in Christ. See, we experience failure in becoming who we are to be in Christ, becoming mature. Thus, we don't see ourselves as qualified to help others grow. So here's the message, big idea. Here, here's the main point of today, okay? We are to struggle to grow in our faith. We are to struggle to grow in our faith in such a way that a portion of that struggle is to help others grow, okay? We are to struggle to grow in our faith, in such a way that a portion of that struggle is to help others to grow. We are to struggle to grow in our faith in such a way that a portion of that struggle is to help others grow as well. So let's first look at what Paul is longing for in the hearts of the Colossian church. Now, what do I mean by, by church? When I say church, what I'm meaning is a group of people that have recognized that there is a God who is sovereign, he's a creator, and he is holy, and he cannot be around sin. And there's man who is a sinful sinner who sins. That's totally depraved and can't have a relationship with God because of our sin. 
And that's why God out of his grace sent Jesus so he could pay the penalty that we justly deserve to pay ourselves. And we can respond to receive that penalty paid by repenting of our sin and believing in faith that Jesus is enough. It doesn't take Jesus and for us to receive that gift. Jesus is enough. So when Paul is addressing the Colossian church, that's who he's speaking to, to people who have made that decision. And then after one makes that decision, we have the great joy of maturing in our faith. So Paul says, first, mature then, church. First, mature by having an encouraged heart. Mature by having an encouraged heart. And we see that in verse 2, the very first part there. We're going to skip over verse 1 for now. We'll come back to that. But in verse 2, the very first part, that their hearts may be encouraged. This is a sign of spiritual maturity, that our hearts are being encouraged. Or some translations say that their hearts are strengthened. Now, let's agree upon this, okay? The heart is the control center of all life. Um, Paul's not just addressing their emotions here, but really what controls you, um, where your thinking takes place. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from your heart flows the springs of life, for from it flow the springs of life. Um, So the heart is the control center of all of life. So if that heart is completely won over by Christ, that person is wholly devoted to him. They're strengthened and encouraged for the work of ministry by God's grace. So remember that the Colossian church was struggling because there were some people in that church teaching some heresy. These teachers were saying, um, you know, church, you have you know, the teachings about Jesus, but I have some secret teachings. I have some mysteries that you don't know about that I am needed in this church so I can tell you those, those mysteries. I have special insights into God that you don't have. I have privilege with God. And so you really need to listen to me instead. And so Paul here is wanting the hearts in the church to be strong, to be encouraged, to combat against that false teaching. He's not just wanting them to feel better emotionally about themselves, but that their inner beings would be strong to stand in the face of these hard circumstances. Now, I've been asked since we've been back from Cote d'Ivoire, we got back Wednesday afternoon, what's one thing that stood out in our trip? And really, there's two things that really stood out. First was just the teachability of the people there. Um, as, as we began our, our teaching and training, we said we don't come with you know, lofty knowledge ourselves. We're here only to give you the word of God. And, and, and Kent said, as he started, he said, I'm one beggar telling another beggar where I found bread. And just to see the, the teachability of the people there, they were thirsty for God's word. And we were so privileged to be able to give that to them. Uh, the second thing that stood out to me uh, is probably just, just saddened by the status of some of the churches Uh, in the Ivory Coast, uh, in the Association of Baptist Churches. Um, I believe if an issue came up at Bethany Community, like in the Colossian church of, you know, a a person teaching heresy, I I believe our church would would handle that in a a grace-filled, truthful way. I believe that our church would confront that person lovingly, hoping to restore them to understanding the gospel better and understanding God's word better. Um, But that's not happening in in the church in the Ivory Coast. Um, there are struggles that they're having that are, that are similar to the Colossian church. And that, you know, you read the book of Colossians, you just say, guys, handle this. You know, take some steps here. Why do you have to wait to hear from Paul? Why aren't you handling this already? And, uh, and so uh, we saw that 
true in some churches in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, we sat with the president of the association. His name's Pastor Kao. And I asked him, what is the association? What, what binds the churches together? And he said, there's three things that bind the churches together. And he set them in an order. And I said, now put them in the order of, the, of actual binding. And, and here's what he said. First is history. Uh, I think the first American missionary came to Cote d'Ivoire, Baptist missionary came in 1949, established the first church. Now over 400 Baptist churches in Cote d'Ivoire, right? Pray, praise the Lord. But that history is the first thing that binds them. So if you're thinking biblically, you're thinking, okay, there's maybe a problem here, right? If that's the first thing that binds them. Uh, second is their culture. The Ivorian culture is what binds them together. And now you, again, if you're thinking biblically, you're thinking, okay, I, I'm seeing more problems here. The last thing was theology. The last thing was God's word that bound them together. And you saw the sadness in Pastor Kao's eyes as he was kind of recognizing afresh the struggles that were happening within the church. You know, one, one of the things that um, culturally that I think is a great strength of the Ivorian culture is their greatest weakness. They really aspire to uh, uh, encourage and esteem uh, those who are older, the older generation, those with gray or white hair. They really esteem that. And I think that's something that we can learn a lot from here in our American culture. But again, their greatest strength is their greatest weakness. See, they esteem the gray hair so much that you can't approach someone in that age category. If they have open, unrepentant sin, like say a senior pastor in one of the churches there, open, unrepentant sin, and he's untouchable. You cannot, you cannot confront him. And if you do, you're not gonna have much support from others because culturally, that is a higher priority. That cultural norm is a higher priority than theology there. And so we need to pray for the strengthening of heart of the Ivorian church, uh, that they would be encouraged, that the young pastors that are getting training would, would understand that. Pray for those that heard our teaching. Um, we, we came to that conference and we had eight lessons prepared. And just the nature of African culture is you gotta stay flexible. Time is not of the essence there. You just kind of have to be flexible. And so we realized we had to combine some of our sessions. And one of those sessions we had to combine, I had prepared and one that Kent had prepared. And we had to combine them to one. And, and I, I said to Kent, I said, um, you know, in light of this cultural issue that the gray hair, the white hair is revered, um, why don't you teach this one? <laughs> So I don't know what it says about people like me in this culture. We're just lost, I guess. Um, but I said, if you're feeling well enough, Kent, I would encourage you to do that um, because we want to, in a sense, kind of take advantage of that cultural norm. And, and I tell you, these people listen to Kent so well and uh, Kent, bless his heart, he, he brought me up onto the stage and he, uh, he put his arm around me. And before these older, gray-haired Ivorian pastors, he said, I esteem this younger man the faith and I want him to call me out on my sin. I want him to love me enough to tell me when I'm sinning and I wanna give him open rights to speak into my life. And as he did that, I literally saw one Ivorian pastor, tears filled his eyes. And I, Sherry later told us, she said, they don't see relationships like that amongst their pastoral teams. They don't see the love between an older pastor and a younger pastor. I can call myself younger, right? Um, they don't see those types of relationships there. Um, and so I saw tears coming in his eyes. And so we need to pray that the, the teaching given and the exhortations that Kent gave would be taken to heart and their hearts would be strengthened by that. 
Pray that believers will be strengthened in heart and they would struggle to help others be strengthened in heart as well. You know, I was telling Jeff Lehman, uh, a member of our church, about our trip uh, the other day. He and his team had gotten back from India not too long ago and we were kind of swapping stories and, and I said to Jeff, I don't want to be too hard on the Ivorian church as I share illustration, things like that. And Jeff said something that was very humbling. He said, oh, for an Ivorian or an Indian Christian to come to our church and our American churches and see the issues that we have. And and so I don't share these things from some holy hill saying, you know, the perfect American church, look at us. Uh, But we need to be strengthened in our hearts as well. So I wanna ask you, church, have you surrendered the control center of your life to Christ, first for salvation, but also for sanctification to grow daily. As you breathe, you surrender the control center of your life to Christ. Uh, James chapter four, verse seven says, to submit yourselves therefore to God. That's a military term. That word submit there means on your face before the Lord. Have you submitted yourself fully to God? This is who we are to be. People with strong hearts and who we are to struggle to help others to become. So if our hearts are strengthened, we mature in the second way. If our hearts are strengthened, we mature in a second way, and that's we have bonded souls. If we go on in verse two, we have encouraged hearts, and then we're knit together in love. We're knit together in love. The strengthened heart is knit together and bonded with others. The, eye of being, the idea of being knit together here is being united or, or held together. Some translations use the word weld that our hearts are welded together. So think, think of the flame on a, a welding torch and you, you, you put two metals together and, and it bonds those metals together. This, that flame is like the love of God and it, it springs up and binds us together as, as believers. See, the Colossian church was being hit with this dangerous, erroneous teaching and Paul is calling upon them, bind yourselves together, weld yourselves together in, with your strong hearts under the banner of God's love. See, we're to be united to come together as believers under the banner of God's love. We unite for many reasons, right? It could be a favorite sports team or an anti-violence rally. There, there are many causes that we should get behind and they are good causes, right? But if not done under the banner of our loving God, that, that union is going to be too light. It's going to be too surfacy if it's not done underneath that banner. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians 13, a, a passage that many of you are familiar with, but think about it in this vein. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians verses 1 through 3, all these good things are happening. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or, or these good things. What if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Okay, what about this? If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. One commentator says, believers share a common life with love as its basis. Now, let me share with you a few ways I've seen this on display firsthand. I mentioned the, the building um, celebration on uh, next Sunday night. And I had the privilege of being a part of that, that building committee. Um, when we first met, I uh, sarcastically said, um, hey, if we start arguing about carpet color, I am out of here. And, you know, I, I could say that sarcastically with this group of people. You know Why? Because I believe that we were united under that banner of God's love. 
And I looked at those building committees and I did not dread sitting next to those people. I did not dread sitting across the table from those people because I recognized they have the love of God so rooted in their lives that this is gonna go well. Now, don't get me wrong. Those meetings were long. <laughs> those were long meetings. Um, but I, I didn't dread sitting with those people because we were bonded. Our souls were bonded together to help create a facility that wasn't an end unto itself, but it was the means to an end of the putting God's love on display. Another way I saw God's love on display, uh, seeing bonded souls together. A few days before we landed in Cote d'Ivoire, one of the uh, association churches had experienced persecution. Okay, there was a small village and this church had been growing and almost half the village now was uh, going to this church. Well, the animist religion, uh, uh, another religion that was being uh, practiced in this village, uh, was seeing some issues with the growing Christian church. Surprise, surprise, right? Well, in this, uh, they have this forest right outside of the village. It's called the sacred forest. And that's where this animist religion, they would, they would bring animals to be sacrificed. And their belief was that sacrificing animals would ward off evil spirits and demons so that they would have healthy families and their businesses would prosper and their crops would grow. Well, these sacrifices cost money. You have to pay for these animals. And with the growing church, they're getting less money in their coffers to pay for these animals. So their solution was to uh, attack the church and so they went in and ran the people out of the village. They, they burned the church building. Uh, they burned the pastor's house. They looted the people's homes and, and, and tore them apart. Um, as, and they chased the people out of the village. And these people ran out of the village and laid down in a sugarcane field. And this is the miraculous part. The attackers ran right by them, didn't even see where they were. And God preserved the Christians' lives. Um, my wife got to go help with, um, with Sherry, the, our, our missionary, to, to bring some food and some supplies um, to some of these villagers. They were living in, in, a, in a, a nearby church's uh, building. Um, and, and I saw at, at the conference then, they, they were talking about this. Pastor Keo was talking about the persecution. And um, he said, we're going to take a collection uh, for this, this church. And I saw these, these pastors who are not wealthy men. Uh, give sacrificially. Um, they gave 92,000 West African francs, about $160. <laughs> but that was a lot of money for them. And every time uh, someone came up, maybe to transition the meeting to uh, another speaker or to Kent or me, they'd say, hey, the offering's still growing. They kept giving and they kept giving out of, of small pockets. And I saw God's love on display and bonded souls that we want to help this persecuted church. As a second way, I saw that these bonded souls on display. The, the third way is we had the opportunity to um, do some training with some hospital staff and we had a Q&A time with them and, and uh, a lot of the questions were medical ethic questions, which were interesting because Kent and I don't have training in anything medical, but we said, we're giving you the word. You know, we'll see what the word says about this. And one doctor says, um, the government regulates that only they can uh, oversee the drawing of blood and so we only get a small portion of blood here at the hospital and, and they don't allow us to draw blood here even though we all know how to do it. Uh, so when a small child comes in with malaria and we know they're dying and we know that a unit of blood will save their life, we have no blood. Do we watch them die or do we draw blood from a family member to give the child blood so that they'll live? Why would a Christian doctor ask that question well, I believe he was wanting their staff to be bonded together 
to say we want to put God's love on display to serve the patients in the best way possible. I saw bonded souls on display there. You see, we need to align ourselves in the church along the line. We, we seem to align ourselves in our church along the lines of, of things like we both like cooking or we both like sports or we both like the outdoors or we both have the same profession. We both grew up in the same town. We both now live in the same town. But if those are what define us, then we're not really truly united, are we? We are to be moving our souls towards one another based on our common bond in Christ and through his love. So would you describe yourself as a life that's moving toward others? Are you bonding your souls with others? Now, it's easy to say yes when it's those in our same stage of life, isn't it? Or people that are like easier for us to connect with. But would you just say, my life is defined by bonding myself with other people who are nothing like me. They're a sports fan. I hate sports. He's an engineer. I'm a teacher. But I'm willing to bond my soul with them underneath the banner of God's love. I think that means we consider church membership as well. Now, church membership isn't in this passage, right? In fact, you don't really see an outline of how someone becomes a member of church in the Bible. Here at Bethany Community Church, we, we have you uh, go to a class called Discovering Bethany. Um, you fill out a church membership form. Uh, you meet with some of our elders to talk through that, that application. And then our church votes on bringing you into uh, membership of our church. Um, I think there's a lot of leeway in churches of how to do that. I'm not saying that's the only way to do that. I do recognize that some churches have abused church membership as kind of a lording over, um, we want to control your life type of thing. Uh, let me just say this. If, if you look in the eyes of one of our elders or one of our deacons, you will not find a man that wants to control your life. Uh, you will find, I believe, humble men that love you and want to shepherd and care for you. Um, if, if you become a member of our church, I believe it's a step of saying, I want to be bonded with the Saints of Bethany Community Church. Now, you can attend here for, for years and years and not become a member. Uh, you don't have to be a member to, to be an usher, a greeter, to, to assist in our children's ministry, to work in our nursery. You don't have to be a member. But, but I believe you're not really saying yet, I want to be bonded to you. I, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to call me out on sin if you see it. Now, we're not going to make that like the tagline of our Discovering Bethany class, you know. Come be a member. We'll call you out on your sin, you know. Uh, but there is a sense of, that is true, right? I want to be bonded with these people. I want to give them the right to speak into my life. And you know what? We're saying to you, you have the right to speak into my life also. So it's not just become a member so we can kind of get you, Right? But it's turning it around and saying, I need you in my life. I need to be bonded to you, and I want you to be bonded to me. And so we don't just say, become a member because you're supposed to be a member, and we're going to control you. We're saying, boy, what a privilege it would be for you to officially proclaim to Bethany Community Church, I want to be a part of you. The Bible does speak to the fact that there are people that were not of us, and there are people that are of us. And membership is our way of, of you and me communicating to Bethany Community. We want to be of you. And so let me encourage you to, to bond your soul and, and to use church membership as a way of, of communicating that to us and, and so that we can have you to speak into our lives and you can speak into, uh, we can speak into each other's lives. This is who you and I are to be and who we're to struggle to help others become. Let me move to the third area of maturity. We want to mature by having an understanding mind. By having an understanding mind. Now, I'm going to start at the, the last half of, of verse 2. And go into verse 5. Now imagine you're, uh, you're one of those heretical teachers in the Colossian church. And someone says, hey guys, we got a letter from Paul. Um, 
Aren't you excited to read it? Let's read a letter from Paul. Um, Epaphras, he came to Christ through Paul's ministry. Epaphras, remember, he came here to Colossae. He shared us the gospel. We established this church. So now our spiritual grandfather, Paul, he's never met a lot of us, but he's written us a letter. Let's read it. You're that heretical teacher. What's your thinking? Ooh, oh boy. Because Paul takes the bull by the horns here, doesn't he? Listen, listen. Paul says, to reach, this in verse two, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, the mystery which is Christ. It's not a mystery anymore, it's Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with those plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Ooh, Paul is taking the bull by the horns. All the riches of full assurance. There's no special insights in that guy. Everything, everything. There's no longer a mystery. It's all in Christ. It's in Christ that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. In case this isn't clear with all my alls and fulls that I'm putting in my language here, don't be deluded by those plausible arguments. They may have some credibility, you think, but it's all in Christ. And he gives them an encouragement. Keep going. I'm with you guys. I'm standing with you. And he says, I rejoice to see your good order and firmness of your faith. He uses some military terms there. Why? He's writing from a prison. He's probably got lots of soldiers around him. So he uses some military terms. Their good order refers to soldiers lined up for battle. Their firmness or stability refers to a solid, a solid formation of those soldiers. They were doing well to stand firm with the heresy around them as they grew in their knowledge and wisdom of God. But he wanted to encourage them to keep going, keep understanding, keep growing in your knowledge and wisdom. It's interesting to see the interconnections here between all these different aspects of maturity. Because some people say, uh, they might go to a church and say, you know, I, I'm just here to hear the word taught. I'm not really here for the fellowship. I'm not really here to, to sing. I don't like singing. I'm just here for the word. They may stand out in the hallway during the first part of service because they just want to be here to hear the preacher, hear the word taught. Well, all these are signs of maturity. Are you bonding with other people as you grow in your knowledge of the word? Is your heart being strengthened as you? These are all interconnected. We don't just do one or the other. And culturally in Cote d'Ivoire, I mentioned the gray-haired man is highly esteemed um, and it might seem culturally, that's a plausible argument. Don't confront him because we're supposed to esteem him. We don't want to make him feel bad, right? That's a plausible argument. But we look at God's word and we say, no, that's not a plausible argument because we're supposed to love each other enough to call each other out on our sin and help restore people back to the gospel and to a right understanding of God's word. We need to have the understanding mind. We reference... Kent and I reference Matthew 18 often. It's a great passage that talks about how we want to restore people to a right understanding of who God is and the right walk with God. And we would teach that what we thought clearly. We would teach it. Uh, we had translators in French some days. Other days we had a translator in a, in a trade language in the Cote d'Ivoire called Jula. And we would finish teaching. We'd say, okay, what questions do you have? Literally guys would stand up and say, how do you resolve conflicts in the church? Okay, we'll go here again. And we re-explain Matthew 18 again and talk about what it means to resolve. Because we wanted to bring that understanding mind. We wanted to bring the Bible into their culture and help them have that understanding mind. For us, what, for us, what's this mean? We need to strive to be a theological church that our orthodoxy, what we understand about the truths of God, affects our orthopraxy, that it affects how we live out our lives. You know, we, some people say, well, that, that theology is for the theologians. I'm just gonna live for Jesus. 
Okay, well, how are you going to know how to live for Jesus if you're not understanding the theology of who Jesus is and how that practically should work its way out into our orthopraxy, how we live out our lives? Theology and theological discussions to pervade our everything. It's who you are and who I am to be and who we are to struggle to help others become. The fourth way we are to mature is by having a rooted and growing walk. A, a rooted and growing walk. Verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. There's this term called chiasm that's used a lot in the scriptures. It kind of, a, 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 an author is writing and it leads up to a pinnacle and then it goes back down. There's some parallels between the lead up and the going back down and the pinnacle. It says, this is a short chiasm in verse six. As you receive Jesus Christ, as you received, lead up, the pinnacle, Christ Jesus our Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord, then walk in him. You see, the grace for our salvation is the grace to walk with him. It's only through Jesus, and we'll be rooted in him and grow in our walk. Um, that term rooted there means that we have already been firmly rooted. It doesn't mean to continually be rooted. It means kind of at the moment of your salvation, you're like that tree in the forest that's been there for 100 years. Whew, the roots run yards, hundreds of yards down, right? At the moment of your salvation, you are whew, rooted. You don't have to wait for that. It's there, right? So you receive Jesus Christ. You are rooted in him. He is the pinnacle, so walk in him. Continue to live out that, that walking. I've said this before, I think, when I've, I've preached, but in our household we use this phrase, um, know who you are, be who you are, and take others with you. Um, know who you are in Christ. Know your identity, that you are rooted, that you are his, and then because of Jesus, you can live that out. You can walk in that. That's who we are to be and who we struggle to help others become. The fifth point of maturity. We are to mature by having a thankful heart. In the end of verse seven, it says, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul doesn't set limits on their thanksgiving, right? Be thankful about this amount of time a day. No, no, abound in thanksgiving. Let it overflow. Let it, let it keep going. Let your thanksgiving continue to go. And I don't think that's really true in our American culture, right? Our American culture says, don't be thankful. You deserve more. In fact, you should be a little disgruntled with what you have. Don't be thankful for it because you deserve better than what you got. I struggle with that. We struggle with that, don't we? But Paul says, be thankful. This is who you are to be and who we struggle to help others become. So we look at all these ways to mature, these five ways to mature. I mean, look, at, look at your notes or look at the screen there. Oh, wow. By God's grace, may that be true of me. But boy, I fail in those areas. How am I supposed to help others do it? Well, Paul says in, in verse one here, he says that he, he struggles, right? He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I want to present people mature in Christ. So we say, well, what qualifies for us to do that to other people? If I struggle with this, what qualifies me. Oh, I hear these pastors talking about they're called to ministry and they go to seminary and they work all day or at least they work on Sunday mornings. I'm not sure what they do the rest of the week. Uh, but they do all this, this work and so maybe they're qualified or maybe an elder of the church. They're, 
They're not a full-time pastor, but they do a lot of things that are like a pastor. They have a real job, unlike a pastor. Uh, but they, they do all this spiritual stuff. Maybe it's our small group leaders. They seem to be qualified people or those that teach Sunday school for kids or maybe for our teenagers or those who, who help a lot at church. Where's, where do you draw the line and say, okay, above this line are the qualified people and below this line are the unqualified people? What qualifies you? That's the wrong question to be asking, isn't it? It's who qualifies you? Who qualifies you? It's Jesus. Jesus qualifies you. We struggle with all of God's energy, it says in, in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 29. It's not, I, I struggle with all my energy to try to muster up the ability to multiply my life into others. I struggle with God's energy. So we mature, but we multiply by having the right perspective and goal. We have to have the right perspective and goal. Uh, Casey and I have a friend named Debbie. She lives down in Florida. And she became a believer when she was a teenager. And she tells the story that she became a Christian on a Monday morning uh, through a friend telling her about the gospel. And she took the resources that friend gave her and she read through them on Tuesday morning and, and uh, read her Bible. And on Tuesday afternoon, she... I was talking with one of her friends who was not yet a Christian and said, hey, I, I learned this stuff yesterday. I made this amazing decision. Here, can I share that with you? And, and you know what? Her friend became a Christian. And the next day, Debbie read her Bible and she said to her friend, hey, do you want to meet later to discuss what I read? She said, yeah, I'd love to. So on Wednesday, they met and, and Debbie, being 24 hours older in the Lord, began to disciple her friend. She read her Bible on Thursday and she shared what she learned with her friend on Thursday. She read her Bible on Friday and she shared what she learned with her friend on Friday and they went to church together on, on Sunday. Now someone would say, Debbie's not qualified. What makes her qualified? It's the wrong question. It's not what makes her qualified. It's who makes her qualified. Now does Debbie had some things to learn? Yes. We all do. But she said, I cannot help but see the maturity before me and see a portion of that maturity, meaning that I help others mature in Christ as well. We struggle to believe that, but it's true. We're to mature by having an encouraged heart, a bonded soul, an understanding mind, a rooted and growing walk, and a thankful heart. And we're to multiply our lives by having the right perspective and goal. So let's remember who we are in Christ. Let's be who we are and let's live it out and take others with us. So, fellow housekeepers, you are qualified. Fellow housekeepers, you are qualified. No matter what your educational level, your profession, your marital status, whatever. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord and grow. And let's humble ourselves before each other and struggle to mature others in Christ as well. So let's pray together towards that end. Father, we recognize our need for you as we look at what it means to be a mature follower of you, these aspects we looked at, and we see where we are and where we need to be, and we see a chasm between them. I, I trust that no one in this room would say, yes, I've arrived, I'm there, I don't need you anymore, God. I hope that we would all see our need for you if not yet a believer, that we would say, God, I, I need you to pay the penalty for my sin. If a believer, we'd say, God, I need you to help me to grow. 
And so are we, Lord, we, we just surrender ourselves to you. We submit ourselves, therefore, to God, as James 4, 7 says. Would our hearts be bent towards you, the control center of who we are to say, I want to wholly surrender to you for my growth and for my maturity. And Lord, would you use me to help others mature as well? And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.